The 10th Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect Black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a Black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to the10thcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast. A weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity & Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity & Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. In order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. If you're in a position to help us grow, here's how you can contribute. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Rudy Manning. Rudy is the co-founder and chief creative officer at Pastilla Inc. in Pasadena, California, and he is an instructor at Art Center College of Design, which is also in Pasadena, California. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Rudy Manning, and I am a creative director. I am the my title is the chief creative officer for an agency that I started about 18 years ago or 19 years ago now called Pastilla, based out of uh, Pasadena or Los Angeles, California. Wow, that's that's pretty good. So you're coming up on 20 years of that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, we're, we're getting excited <laughs> to put a, put a big event together for everybody who's been a part of this journey. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big milestone. Definitely. Yeah, the, it feels like the milestones kind of sneak up on you. Like you're so busy sometimes in the work and doing it that you look up and you're like, wait a minute, I've been doing this for for 20 years. Yeah, I'm <laughs> telling you, it goes by when you're in it. Sometimes it goes feels like it's treading along. But then you look back and you're like, wow, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Super grateful to still be in business and, you know, have it continue to thrive. So super excited. How has uh, 2023 been going so far? Really, really good. There was some, there was a lot of things sort of shifted in the agency about five years ago. I merged with another agency that was one of our uh, partners. They were doing a lot of development for us. Mm -hmm. And are probably for most of the time of the agency up at that point, they were like the main development partner for anything we did that was like digital base. And we decided, you know, after a long relationship to just kind of come together and just made sense. And that really sort of shifted the trajectory of the agency the past five years. We've matured. We've grown substantially in that time. Really, really 
just have a little bit more of a focus in 2023 is I think really excited because although a lot of things in the economy are kind of uncertain, I feel like we've done some pretty smart things that have sort of kept us afloat and kept us strong. Definitely the kind of work that that we do in those those years of the pandemic really kind of ended up helping out for us because we're a creative branding agency, really branding led, but we do a lot of digital products. So obviously there was a lot of investment in things digital. So that really, really helped out. And um, now we're kind of positioned for a very steady growth of 2023. So, so far, so good. Now, are there any like big goals that you wanted to accomplish this year? Well, last year, one of the big goals we had was growth. I'm going to go a little bit into sort of agency talk. This is goes might go a little bit deep, but I think, uh, you know, if somebody's out there listening and has an agency, I think this is really important. But every year is different, right? You, you, sometimes it's like revenue. Sometimes it's profit. Sometimes it might be people. There's the goal growing. And last year, it was a lot about refining the team, making sure that the people who we had were working well together, not only just processes, but the personalities and the right roles and the right balance of folks that really can help continue to lead and build the company and service our clients. So that was a really huge goal. And we owe a huge testament to a lot of people in our agency, but definitely our our HR team. And we really refined the team. And at the end, we started off the year now knowing that the staff that we have is solid. They're working together, a really well-oiled machine. And I feel like we achieved that last year. And this year, now it's becoming about really working. I'm, I'm calling the title for this year sort of nurture the details, which is about going a little deeper into the relationships that we have with our clients and not just servicing them, but really understanding their needs from a full 360 to be able to deliver as much value as we can. Not necessarily growth from uh, growing clients, but growing the clients that we have currently. So that's really like what I'm sort of focused on for this year. And, and and so far, so good, right? Like we've already in the first two months have been able to do that pretty well. So I'm looking to continue to sort of foster that in, in the team and from the creative, the same thing, right? Being able to push the creative further and further, be able to deliver the best at every single thing that the client sees and making sure that they continue to stay with us, continue to come back and continue to see us as a as a strong partner to be able to service them and other things that maybe they didn't even think we can help them with. Mm. Well, let's jump more into talking about Pastilla. You're the, the co-founder and chief creative officer, uh, and you've already sort of given you know a little bit of background about the team and the services and stuff. What really sets Pastilla apart from other agencies? It's funny. When I was in school, design school, I graduated. And a lot of people during that time were like, oh, I'm going to jump into web. I'm going to work in motion. I'm going to work in print. But really, at that time, you kind of had to know a little bit of everything. But I really liked having to sort of cross discipline position. And I was working everything from packaging to environmental to doing film titles, commercials, apps, even back in like 2003, 2004. And I've always sort of been in this cross sector of creative where where it didn't matter what discipline it was. Now, 
that's been really fun. A really, really exciting 20 years. I've learned a lot. It wasn't easy, right? Because you do have to, to continue to sell. There is a certain pattern and you want agencies or you want clients to sort of have that one thing that they think about you. And when you're working and building the agency, it's really tough to figure that out because you're sort of just taking things as it comes. You're not really, and especially if I'm, you know, the kind of person that's excited about a lot of different things, it's been tough. It, w- it was really tough the first, I would say the first 12, 13 years. We, I mean, we were doing motion one year and the next year we're doing the launch campaign for Microsoft Surface tablet in 2012 or 13. So very, very different projects, but exciting nonetheless, but made it difficult because when you tell the story of who your agency is, you really want to have the repeat factor. It doesn't, even if it's a different sort of story and sort of positioning, you do want to have this focus. So that was tough. And around that time, 2013, I decided, you know, what we really do well and what I really like to do the most out of out of everything we did was branding and really looking at every client that came to us from a de- branding perspective, whether it was a brand new client where it's a brand new company where you're doing strategy naming identity system and then executing that which makes sense because we sort of have that full service that was something that finally i would say at that time we were able to start really honing down who we are as a branding agency but at the same time it would have made it interesting is we also had a deep understanding of how to put that company or that brand in action so how it applies in digital how it applies in motion how it applies in print and being able to do the full picture after we do the identity system. And it took a long time to do that and to get to that point. But I feel like that was one huge sort of defining point at refining who we are, right? That made us stand out, at least, let's say, in 2013 to 2016 or so. Then I would say around around that time, 2016, I started feeling like I wanted to do work that mattered a little bit more. Not that any clients, any of the work that we did didn't matter, but something was in me that felt like I want to be able to be a part of the communication and deliver creative to projects and initiatives that had some kind of social impact. Through some different situations, I ended up learning a little bit about the government work and how to sort of approach it. And it took a very long time. and But I really got interested in being able to service the same kind of level of high-end creative, the same kind of level of thinking and focus that we give to the private sector clients, but give it to more civic, public, or nonprofit clients. And I would say it was specifically public sector. So we won like one project and... For the city of Pasadena, we did a, a anti-tobacco campaign, and that went really, really well. And that's when I sort of got the bug of like, wow, I really like this like idea of designing for the people directly, right? Mm-hmm. Designing for communities. And now, looking at eight years later or so, you know, we just last year rebranded, or well, this year we actually just finished rebranding a city, the identity, the strategy, and continue to. We're going to continue to serve them. And, and it was a really amazing experience to, to be able to put all that we've learned the first 18 years into like branding a city. And one of the reasons they picked us was because they we weren't a typical public sector type of agency. They said it right in the, the first town hall that they had. It's like they chose us because 
we were not the typical public agency that spoke government and so forth. They knew, felt like we were a little bit more sort of on the ground and had a fresh perspective. And we commend them for that for that as well, because I know that often we lose because there's other agencies that know how to sort of speak that. So I would say we have this like sort of well-rounded, full-service agency that's branding focus. That's most of our clients come through us for that. And that we have a we're sort of civic-minded, civic, social impact-minded. We do things in sustainability and so forth. And sometimes some private sector clients come to us because of that. We also have that passion for doing work that matters and that directly affects people and communities. I mean, I would have to imagine that city branding project was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, when you think about the scope of what that entails, it's not just oh, we're going to make a logo and a style guide. Like there's so much that has to go into that level of branding because a city is more than just, it's more than just a company. It's more than just a brand. Like that's, it's not a society, but I I, I say that to say that the, the scope of something like that is immense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we underestimated some parts of it, you know, the discovery and the research that we had to do, especially because we're, we're not based in the city. Oh, you know, where it was the city of Corona mm-hmm. and we're about maybe about an hour away from them. And one of the comments in the beginning, when they first introduced us to the city council was like, oh, why didn't you guys go with a company that was, you know, the city of Corona yeah. from, from the city? And um, we had to invest a lot of time into proving that, you know, an outsider a city, you know, an agency that comes kind of has a fresh perspective can do just as good, if not a better job than somebody who's really close to the city. So the discovery and the strategy was was a lot of work, a lot of workshops, a lot of meetings, a lot of pop-ups that we had to do to sort of get engagement and really validate the messaging and the final outcome of the identity. It's tough to get right. Like, because there are so many people that, you know, are in a city, it's not just business. It's not just commerce. It's everyday citizens. It's It's so, so... Hard to get right. And I guess the, re- the reason I'm speaking about this so passionately is because I'm in Atlanta and we were known for a spectacularly bad city branding campaign <laughs> back in like the early to mid 2000s. I happened to be working in the city, working in, in tourism. So I sort of got to see it unfold from the inside about how bad it was. But yeah, we were known for a spectacularly bad branding campaign called brand Atlanta. I was working in the city sort of in tourism at the time and just seeing it unfold from the inside was was horrible <laughs> because you could tell that the people that were putting this together and I think they got a local agency to do it, but what can happen and I think you probably know this too is that the client can get so held up in what their vision of it should be that it's hard for the agency to do the necessary research and work that needs to happen in order to really provide good work. And so basically we just had all these suits that were in our tourism board that were like, Atlanta is this. And Mm -hmm. as someone who I'm not from Atlanta, but like I've lived in Atlanta, I'm from the South. I was like, Atlanta is so much more than these things that you think it is. Like they thought Atlanta was the zoo and the baseball team and like all the very family friendly, squeaky clean sort of stuff. But I'm like, Atlanta is also hip hop and strip clubs and like it's all of that and you're sort of trying to 
sanitize this vision of what the city is because at the time they were trying to get more more conferences to come to the the uh, the city which was the main point of them okay. doing the rebrand is to make the city okay. seem more appealing and they did it they rolled it out we had like i think it happened at a, a falcons game where they did the whole brand atlanta rollout and they had the symphony and they wrote this song they had this song that was written with like ti and usher and it was all horrible like people hated it it oh was so God. bad it was so bad. Like there are very little, if any traces of it still around in the city because they quickly covered it up after it went out. So city branding is tough. It's yeah, so tough to get right. That would be our worst nightmare. And I actually, <laughs> um, I, there's one project that we had pitched a couple years ago. I can't name the university, but uh, we came in very close to winning it. We ended up losing it to another company who, had a lot of experience in higher ed, right? One of the main things I pitched that got us very close is I said, this is not a logo identity campaign. This is, or this is not a logo identity we're doing. We're really doing a political campaign in a sense. We have to approach everything we do to get people, the students, the instructors to believe in the direction before we even go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So we have to really understand what it is that the students and the, and the faculty need and what do they believe to then be able to communicate an identity system? But what happened is at some point, it seemed like they jumped a gun. We, we didn't get it. Three years later, they end up reaching back to us saying like, this was a horrible experience. What happened to us? That Everybody hated the logo. There was political nightmare, PR nightmare, communication nightmare in the school. And they obviously it was too late at that point. But yeah. they're like, definitely, we should have gone by you. Like there's literally an email saying, we regret going with this other agency. We should have gone by you because the direction that that you were pitching was exactly what we was what we needed. Like we had like one of the ideas was the students at the school, the graphic design students, they need to be a part of this identity for the school. They need to have their hands in it in some kind of way. All of that just really gets people to feel that this came from within. You know, mm-hmm. it has to feel like that with anything like that. If not, it's really, really hard. So I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <That's a story. laughs> when new projects come in with you kind of sitting at the, the head of the company, do you get to work hands on with them? I do. We're about 35 or so people with some contractors definitely goes up to like maybe even close to 50 and the design team we're pretty nimble, but so I'm the creative director. We have an art director and we have a few graphic designers and UX designers and so forth. But I still am as the acting creative director, at least maybe for the next couple of years, I am potentially looking to bring in a creative director. So that means that basically I don't design, but I review, I give critiques, I give, you know, from either my art director or my lead designers, senior designers, They will go and do the work themselves and then come back, present to me. I give them feedback. I give my thoughts. You know, they present to me. I give them feedback on how to present, what kinds of things to say. And every now and then I'll have to present, but seldomly, less and less. I think my team's gotten to the point where they're pretty good understanding sort of my vision and so forth. Sometimes in the beginning, I sort of can set some parameters, I would say, around the direction of where we should go. 
based off the strategy or whatever it may be, but often they'll come to me with some ideas and then I'll take those ideas and give them some feedback on refining them. Um, even if it's just like general higher level concepts. Mm -hmm. So you're not, like you said, working hands on, but you're still pretty close to the project and that you get to see it unfold yeah. kind of step by step. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cause you know, I do a lot of other things and you know, I, my partner now rents most of the operations, but I'm still really responsible for a lot of the business development, the relationships of our clients and overseeing like all the accounts, not just from the creative, but like, you know, managing the entire perspective of like the direction of that client. So, so what does like yeah, a, a regular day look like for you? <laughs> a lot of calls. I think these days, you know, we had an office for probably the first like 15 years of our company. And just after um, we merged with Kremza was the name is the name of the company that we merged with. Mm -hmm. Just after that, we we decided, you know what, let's go remote for a little bit. Let's, you know, we were sort of trying to figure out how the two companies were going to come together. We did that for about a year, year and a half. We started looking for an office, then the, the pandemic hit. So it was frustrating for me working remote, but I literally learned to adapt. We all have adapted pretty well for it. Sometimes we obviously meet. So, and I say that because one of the drawbacks now is on a lot of meetings because, you know, there isn't that's those, we have to force those kind of interactions between people. So that means my days are pretty booked up with calls. I would probably say I spend about at least five to six hours a day on calls. Most of it is, you know, I would say half of it is like internal things, whether it be like operational meetings or looking at something we're doing internally to market ourselves or project stuff, right? Account managers look presenting to me where we're at with the client, the margins or what new projects are coming along and so forth. So I do that. And then probably like 10, 20% of the day might be some creative meeting that I have with the team where they're presenting some ideas or so forth. But most of it's kind of like operational business meetings. Yeah. I would say that's basically my whole entire day. Yeah. Business development's important though, because you, you got to bring it in. You got to bring the client work in. Yeah, Absolutely. It's always been something I've done this forever, just naturally. It's been something that I've always just somehow understood. And so I've always, it's the thing that, that probably my, from a financial point of view, that's the biggest value right now that I'm, that I bring to the company is the, the business development. Most of the projects come through, Yeah, you know, something of my relationship or some doing of our content or so forth. Yeah. Is it tough balancing like the, the creative and the business sides of running an agency? It is. And it's getting harder and harder because, you know, I talk about like how those, how we're now remote and how many hours I'm on calls because so much of it is that kind of higher level strategic thinking of the business, the client operations. Who do we need to hire? What's happening with this hire? Do we need to bring in, you know, another person for this? Hey, there's an issue with this client. This is what we need to do. Or here's some cool things that we can do or new projects pitches, proposals, all of that really takes up most of my time. So staying creative is is really, really important for me. I try to do that as much as I can. And I have, I sort of time box it. So one of the things we just moved into a new house like a year and a half ago, two years ago. So I've had a lot of fun, like just doing interior design, you know, and like designing the space and designing, just remodeling the house and not just hands-on, but like 
the actual design part of it. So I've had a lot of fun doing that and bringing my design into that. And it's been something I've been enjoying. I, I, at least right now, that's definitely a way I'm getting my creative output. Also teaching also is really great as well. Like hearing students feed, uh, work and giving feedback at that level as well. That also feeds me uh, tremendously. Yeah. I want to talk more about your, your teaching later, but before we get to that, I want to learn more about you. Like, I want to learn about how you got to where you are now, where you're running, you know, an agency and you've got it staffed with all these designers and and things like that. So tell me about where you grew up. Are you originally from California? No, actually, I'm Panameño. So I was born in Panama. Yeah, I I came here. We immigrated with my parents here when I was like seven or eight years old. You know, we came here. My dad sort of joined the army. He thought like this is probably the best way for us to kind of make a living for him and provide for us. So immediately after that, I would say about a year after we moved here, he got shipped to Germany. So I was basically, that's where I learned English was in Germany. <laughs> I was only spoke Spanish. So I was there for about almost four years, I think. Then we came back to the United States when I was like 11. We were basically in Los Angeles. And then we moved to like Rialto. And so Basically, from 11, 12 up, I've been in Southern California area. So I went to high school in Redlands, mm-hmm. which is like after my mom and dad divorced, my mom moved towards that area. And that's where actually I ended up meeting somebody who sort of gave me a, a little bit of a hint about me wanting to maybe study graphic design at that high school. So I went to Redlands High School. And then from there, I graduated went to Cal Poly Pomona for a couple of years and then ended up transferring to Art Center, which is what brought me to Pasadena. Now, back before you went to Cal Poly Pomona and everything, as you were sort of traveling between these different countries as a kid and then, you know, eventually settling in California, like, did you sort of always have an interest in in design and creativity and stuff like that? I think it was mainly just drawing you know, I love to draw, you know, since I was a little kid and my brother is as well. He, we both used to just draw together and he's a graphic designer too. Mm. My dad was a studied architecture for a little bit in Panama, but he's, he's always drawn and painted his whole style of life. We have a very pretty artistic family. My, so my dad, since we were little, always was drawing and we'd copy his drawings and he, he'd go sort of one by one and then we'd follow what he was doing. And we do that all the time in front of the TV. We'd sit down and He'd be talking, he'd be showing us what to do. Did that for many years. And and my mom, about a little bit after my uh, mom and dad divorced, my, my mom started a business. So then got to see that part of it. She's been really successful at it. So got to see that kind of the benefits of owning your own company and your own business and what kind of freedom that gives you and the satisfaction and seeing her in it, that drove that part of it as well. So I think those two things sort of combined is what kind of got me the the framework of thinking of like building an agency. So yeah, I, I mean, and I would say, I remember I stopped drawing at like 11 or 12 years old. And I don't know why I just there was like a, a moment of, I think I just ended up playing baseball, my focus was different. And I was just playing baseball all the time. And then one day, I just I don't know why I just remember I was 14. I was just like, you know what? let me draw a baseball player. That's what I loved. And I just, I remember I drew Oral, Oral Hershiser mm. and I had it in my art class and I took it to school and 
I remember that feeling of everybody like, oh my gosh, like you drew this, like how did you do, you know, that reaction, you're sure you kind of had similar background as, as an artist. You're like, man, there's this like feedback that you get that's kind of a little bit of this high and I'll never forget that. So I just kept on drawing. And then that went to painting. And then I was just taking art and painting classes. And eventually that took over my passion for baseball. And that's mm-hmm. all I wanted to do was draw and paint, you know, sports figures. I wanted to be like Leroy Neiman, who's like a very famous uh, sports fine artist painter. So, and then until I was in one of my art classes, I think I was a junior or something. It was a student in there who was a really good artist who was going to graduate. And I asked him like, hey, what are you going to do after school? He's like, oh, I'm going to go to PCC, Pasadena City College, and then I'm going to transfer to Art Center and study graphic design. I'm like, oh, what's that? And he's like, it's like doing things for like MTV. And I remember going, dang. And that was like the days of MTV, MTV, right? Mm-hmm. The, the real MTV. And I was like, that is amazing. Like graphics for MTV. Like I didn't even know the word graphics. Actually. I just thought like art for TV that people could see. And so that, like, I remember that and that always stuck with me. So when I graduated, I was just like looking for schools that had graphic design, which wasn't that many. And Cal Poly ended up being one of those schools. So that's kind of where my life sort of dove into graphic design for the first time there. How was your time at Cal Poly Pomona? It was interesting because I think in high school, I was pretty, you know, sort of kept in. I didn't do a lot of stuff. And I feel like, when I got to Cal Poly, I was in the dorms and I just got this freedom of like, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, I'm all myself. <laughs> and so I kind of went down that, like, it was a lot of fun, but it was like, I probably didn't know what to do with all of that energy. And so one thing is I would say my focus wasn't there as it should be those first couple of years. Mm-hmm. I want to say, despite that, I struggled a bit with graphic design there. For whatever reason, I didn't see, I didn't make the connection. I thought like, we had, there was a lettering class, I remember, and, and the lettering class that we had, it was all about craftsmanship. You had to draw, like, let's say, like the letter E with Prismacolor, and it was like a five-inch, you know, height type, and you have to draw it so it literally looks like it's printed. It was very difficult, that class for me, and, and just not just because I couldn't do it. I could do it. But I didn't have the patience. I wanted to design. I wanted to draw. And, and uh, I remember the instructor saying, like, you know, if you get a C or under in this class, I highly suggest you don't continue in graphic design because graphic design is really tough. Hmm. And I remember as as the, not to say, you know, fine artist, <laughs> tough as well. But, you know, in terms of like, I think what he was saying is you really have to love this to really continue in this direction. Right. Yeah. And it was a, it was a, one of the first classes in graphic design you were supposed to take. So towards the whole class, I was just like, this is, I'm struggling. Like, I, I think I'm going to get a seat. And the final project was you get to draw something and use like letter form and typography and visuals together. So I got to do this book cover. I remember I did like a Malcolm X book cover and you put it up in class, the final, and everybody was just like looking at this project looking at my project and the teacher was like, who did this? And it was the first time out of the whole entire term that I felt any kind of positivity in that class all the time. I was just like, and I remember going like, what's happening? And so I walked away, walked out of class and instructor said, Hey, you know, I know I said you shouldn't be in graphic design and, or if you get a C or lower, and I think you're going to get a C. I'm like, yeah, 
I know. And he's like, well, I think you should stay in graphic design though. So I was like, oh, uh, okay. So I walked <laughs> away, still struggled, still was a tough time with the other classes. And then somebody had told me like, hey, you, you got to take a class at Art Center. You know, really like you should, you'd be really good at it. I'm like, I don't know what you see because I'm struggling in every graphic design. I did great in the painting classes. The fine, those are the ones I was like really loved. So I, I took a night class. She ended up just like convincing me. And I was nervous because I thought like, man, like I, back then I thought art center is like, you know, this sort of Mecca. And I took a night class, sort of like an extension class while I was still at Cal Poly. And the first day you go and you present your ideas for a logo. And I was just drawing and sketching and concepting stuff, put it up. And I knew the moment the teacher started talking, the first, not even to my project, another student, I thought, this, I'm in love. I literally felt like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I just never took another class at Cal Poly. Mm-hmm. Again, Cal Poly, this was early on in Cal Poly for their graphic design. So they really were working thing. And some amazing designers came out of this. So that was just me at that time. But I just fell in love with, with graphic design at Art Center. And uh, I eventually finished like my foundation at Cal Poly. Then I just, I got a full scholarship. Actually, uh, after a couple classes I took at, at Art Center, I built my portfolio, some from Cal Poly, some from the Art Center. Mm-hmm. And I got a full scholarship, a James, James Irvine scholarship. That was it. Kind of changed my life. It, the, the only hiccup during that time is a girl that I had kind of been dating ended up getting pregnant. So I ended up having a child pretty early on. So I was starting Art Center while learning to be a father at the same time. So that was, that's another wow. story. But <laughs> wow. Definitely all kind of came all at once, but definitely matured me. And uh, I think eventually it was all for the good, of course. Well, I mean, I've heard from a lot of folks, you know, on this show that, you know, sometimes when they're, when they go into school having a lot of this sort of artistic ability and love, and like sometimes the school can almost effectively snuff it out of them, you know, through yeah. the professors or the courses or anything like that. So it's good that you still had that spark and decided to continue it by going, you know, somewhere else that was probably more focused in the direction that that you needed to go, which of course now, based on where you're at right now, that was a good direction to take. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy. You, you never know those little moments, you know, I remember thinking like, Oh gosh, like the classes are at night and this and that, but man, I loved those classes. I just, I wanted to spend all my time in it. Um, in the art center at night classes then. So, yeah. So now you've, you've graduated, you're, you're out there as a working designer, like, what was your early career like before you started Pestia? As I kind of mentioned, you know, during school, I definitely liked to get my hands in everything that was designed, right? I think it's one of the reasons I mentioned earlier, I, I like even just interior design. Now, I have a passion for anything that is where you're, you're taking these elements of your artistic being and putting into some physical space or a visual space or designing a city, right? So I definitely can see sort of how the, all those things combining work together. And I did the same thing at school. And so when I graduated, I wanted to work somewhere that, that didn't want to like push me into one direction. I didn't want to work in an agency that only had me do print or only doing web or only doing motion. So I, I got the, the best place was a, a company then called, I had a couple of different companies, but I think towards the end it was called Quick Fan Networks or DVD Mags, which was you basically are designing 
a DVD magazine is what they call it. So every month you would get a subscription of a DVD and one of them was short films. You get one DVD of short films. Another one was music. So you get to, you know, have the, this, these music videos and all this content on these DVDs. And I got to design basically like the editorial, but the interactive part. So I got to do the identity of each of the magazines. I got to do the, the interactive part of the DVD. Mm-hmm. I got to do the animation of the DVD. I got to do the ads. And so that was, to me, was perfect. I got to get my hands in all of that. And yeah. that's really where I started for the first couple of years. And I started freelancing a little bit after that. And that took me to Nokia for about four years. And I worked there really as a freelancer. I wanted to, I had a feeling at that time that at some point I'm going to start my own company just because I really enjoyed working with my own clients. Right. So in between that, I, I had, I took freelance projects at night and weekends and I really enjoyed having full control of like, I'm presenting to the client, I'm giving them my vision and I'm able to directly connect with them to be able to persuade them of the concept that I think is right. Right. Rather than like, here's a bunch of ideas. Now you have somebody else just pitching it for you. So I really love that. So I thought I'm going to start my own studio, but I needed to build up enough of momentum as a freelancer. So I really freelanced for about six years. Then when I was at Nokia, um, I said it was a time of life. I got divorced in my late twenties and I thought it might be a good time for me to do this now for a lot of different reasons. So I told Nokia, I'm going to start my own company. If you guys like to hire more of me, I'd be happy to take the work and continue as my own company. And so Nokia was my first client, right? So I'm super wow. thankful for that. For the first couple of years, a lot of the work we did was, was Nokia. And so that was sort of the first momentum of Pastilla, which was then called Pastilla Studio. That's amazing. I mean, you must have made some really great relationships at Nokia in order for them to sort of entrust you with that. Say, like, I'm going to go out on my own and... They're like, okay, great. We'll still, you know, toss some work your way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I worked really hard for them. You know, I was a really great people. You know, a lot of them, some of them I knew from Art Center. I got to meet people from all over the world there, though. And really was a time where technology was sort of in a bit of a transition, right? Like, you imagine that was like 2000. Yeah. Three, a couple years out before that. And iPhone definitely hadn't come out. But before that, like Google had just come out like a couple years before that, like it's really early on. So I think I, I came with that diverse sort of background of motion, interactive and print and just, you know, and mm-hmm. being able to sort of cross discipline. I think that really the design director, Gerardo, liked that. So I was able to really use those, my, my diverse background ex- and experiences to Nokia and help the team out for those four years. So, yeah, we did some great work. And I mean, honestly, coming with those skills at a time when, you know, as soon as you said DVD magazines, I was like, oh, I already know when when this happened. This, yeah, <laughs> this exactly. is like this yeah. is like turn of the century or turn of the millennium, or whatever, yeah. like 99, 2000. I remember those yeah. DVD magazines vividly. But yeah, I mean, coming with all those skills at a time when technology and design and the web were sort of growing at this rapid pace. I mean, you know. The stuff that you were doing didn't really even exist like 10 years ago. 
the advent of the personal computer and the internet becoming something that was no longer, you know, bound to DVDs or CDs that you get in the mail, you know, like the fact that things were growing at this rapid pace and you're coming in with all these skills, especially at a time when companies are trying to decide, like, how do I become a part of this new thing? Like, how do I have a website? How do I take orders online or do all this sort of stuff? And you sort of show up to the scene well-equipped like hey i've got the skills if you got the work so yeah sounds yeah, good yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly exactly it was it was a really fun time and now while you were building pastilla it sounds like there were other sorts of ventures that you were doing as well right like you sort of did some work with an app you sort yeah. of founded a, a film company i guess i mean tell me about those those other ventures Obviously, from, let's say, 2004, those first 10 years were extremely busy for me. Continues to be anytime you're a business owner. But those those first 10 years, I was basically raising my kids. I had I have a boy and a girl for my first marriage. And so I was raising the kids while, you know, starting this company, essentially. We have 50-50 sort of custody. So they got to share that experience. So those those first 10 years was extremely busy and at i would say around yeah around 2014 maybe 2013 a friend came to me about an idea that he had to for a startup and he wanted me to look at it and see if i was interested in like being his partner and he presented to me did this whole pitch and basically what it was is to be honest it's not that different than what like instagram reels is what TikTok is now. The only company that was kind of doing something sort of similar is was Musically that ended up becoming TikTok back then. But even then, it was very different, the, the UX. So basically, at the end, what it was is you select video clips from your phone and it strings a video edited to music together. The thing that it did a little different was it took sort of the music patterns and did the edit based on the pattern of the music, the rhythm, the beats per minute, and it, they were like five second ones, 15, 20, 30, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And so we, we built the app, we started it, we got some some funding. And there was, I mean, I learned a lot. Number one, I was able to use all of the tools and experience that I have learned, not just from owning an agency, but also working with clients as well. So it was really great. And But it was it was kind of tough. It was tough because it was at a time where we saw Instagram really starting to, I hate to say it, but kind of just copy what everybody else is doing. Yeah. <laughs> so see what's happening, you know? And so like, oh, hmm, I like Discovery. I like what Snapchat's doing. Okay. Nine yeah. by 16. Yeah. All right. Let's go this. Let's. And so, and then we, they bought the music catalog of Universal then. And that's where like, okay, this is going to be really tough to, even though the technology and the, was different and interesting it was not going to be able to compete because they had to be a platform so it was more like a tool or a feature so um we sort of after i would say a couple years we got some awards and things out of it and definitely some really good recognition but we decided to close that and around that time i got married um in 2014 so we've been married like nine years and my wife is actually a uh a filmmaker and uh so she has always wanted to be a director and uh, during that time she was building her career 
And so she started making brand films and she's an amazing storyteller and, you know, it was perfect because obviously I had done motion. I had been part of doing VFX for films and, and so forth. So we kind of started, it's, it's her thing. She, this is what she runs to this day now. It's been like maybe five years. So, uh, but we sort of took some of the experience that I had in motion and put it into what now is actually called fee films, uh-huh. uh, fee brand films or fee films. So she does brand films. She does motion graphics work. And, but really like the thrust is she's looking to be, to have it be a full fledged feature film company. So she's doing some short films and some narrative work on that. And she's got a couple scripts that have been optioned and she's been working with. So that's what, when you saw Fee Brown films, that's what it is. Yeah. All of the motion parts that were Pastilla or most of it sort of mm-hmm. got diverted into, into Fee films now. And now also your board president of art division. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So about two, three years ago, let me kind of, kind of back up a little bit from that because okay, say about 10 years ago, I, I had this thought and I had mentioned to my wife, wow, like our studios are empty on Saturdays and Sundays. Like wouldn't it be amazing to go out and bus students from the different areas in Los Angeles and, and different groups and be able to teach kids like graphic design. And I've always had a passion for, for kids. And at that point I had just started teaching as well. So I thought like, yeah, this could be really interesting to do. And so I sort of had it back in my head, but with everything else just was really busy and, and I never really was able to like put the gas on that. And then about two, three years ago, Somebody recommended me, introduced me to Art Division, which was a school in Rampart District of Los Angeles that was teaching fine arts, visual arts to kids, specifically in that area, primarily of Latino immigrants. Me speaking Spanish, being Latino, I felt like it was a, I wanted to get to know a little bit more about the school. So went in, heard a little bit about it, definitely saw some potential for me as with from my background coming from teaching at art center also you know some of the things i had been thinking about in the past and learning from what they're doing seeing if that could be something i can learn from and be a part of of something that was really giving kids who have graduated high school have amazing art talent be able to give them the ability for another chance to develop a career in arts and then me maybe be a part of introducing design to their curriculum and and so after six months of being on the board i was selected as the board president and for the past year and a half that's sort of been my role and what i've been doing is slowly trying to find ways to include graphic design into the curriculum and we hope hopefully by this fall we have uh, at least a couple classes that we start to teach we're sort of developing that right now. We've done some graphic design workshops where kids have come in and hear a little bit about who I am. And I'm also looking to introduce some of the designers from Pastilla also potentially to even go there and, and, and do some teaching and so forth and be able to give back to these kids. Because some of them, they're artists, they have a passion for art and design, but who knows, right? That art background could end up becoming a design passion and graphic design passion and can end up having a career. It's really tough and really expensive to go to school these days, especially art school. So 
you know, giving us some of these opportunities, I think uh, could be really interesting. And uh, so I'm looking forward to how this develops. Now, along with this community work, which, by the way, sounds amazing. I would love to have been a part of a program like that when I was a kid. But you're also an instructor at, at Art Center College of Design, where you went to college. Uh, you've taught there now for almost nine years. Tell me a bit about what you teach. Yeah, so I started teaching in the product design department, which is kind of like industrial design. We call it industrial design product design at, at Art Center. And I was brought in to teach graphic design to the product design students, essentially. And then that turned into me teaching the students. The, there was a class that helped the product design students or industrial design students how to brand themselves as they get ready to graduate, like how do they position who they are and so forth. And those first classes, I would say that first year, year and a half, was for me to kind of just get sort of my feet wet and see how do I, do I like teaching graphic design? Or, do, yeah, do I like teaching, period? How can I fit into my schedule? Does it work for me? And and what are we getting out of it myself, mm-hmm. personally? And also, like, am I being able to deliver and be good at it? Be good at it. And so I loved it. I really, really liked doing it. And I got as much out of the students as they get as much out of me. Because it's definitely a very symbiotic relationship. And I think that really helps my perspective and how I teach. And so... I did, taught in that department and immediately, obviously, I wanted to teach in the graphic design department. That was a natural inkling. And it's kind of tough to to jump into teaching, especially Art Center, because, you know, you have some of the top designers in the world and artists in the world teaching there and everybody wants to teach there. So I ended up getting uh, asked to teach a, a branding class. They, they knew the kind of work and stuff that I did. So I started teaching what now the bulk of those years up until maybe last year, I was teaching what was called transmedia, which is basically a branding class that looks at what kind of like I mentioned, the sort of the cross sector of how branding and identity systems get implemented into, you know, and get go into action when it comes to digital, motion, space, environmental. So that was my my class. And I, I absolutely love teaching teaching that was called communication design five transmedia branding for transmedia, I think. And I did that for about six, seven years. I took a pause on that class. I was teaching two classes a week while I was still running the agency, still with this transition of the two new companies. So well, last summer, I took a pause for two terms because teaching remotely and being remote as an agency was kind of taking a toll on on me. Was, yeah. You know, the classes at Art Center are about five hours. So if I was teaching two classes, that's two days that I'm on class for five hours in screen. And then, as I mentioned, my work is screen time stuff. Mm-hmm. So I ended up feeling like after six, seven years, like I don't know if I have enough bandwidth. And things started opening up, obviously, like, like in fall. But I started now with Art Division and my focus on there. I started to kind of rethink a little bit of, my long-term strategy in teaching and is it, am I going to continue teaching at Art Center? So I'm currently, I'm still teaching now. I'm back to teaching in the master's program, a branding futures class, which is like how we're teaching. Uh, I'm teaching with uh, another instructor about strategies of future casting, how brands could sort of future cast either their audience, either their the business models, you know, any kind of future 
strategic thinking of a brand. So I'm teaching that class now and I'm going to be teaching one more during the summer. But I think that I'm after that, I'm, I'm going to probably be taking a pause for a while to do some more work and thinking with art division and put my time into that. I mean, look, you gotta, you gotta fill up your own cup first. And it sounds like with everything you're doing with Pastilla, of course, and then also with teaching, you can get depleted very quickly. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So it all kind of works together in a way. So it's definitely a lot of, uh, a lot to juggle, but it all works for the greater good, really ultimately also of Pastilla, because when I do things for Art Division, not only am I helping feed ourselves, but we also tell that story of how we're involved with Art Division when we work with some of our other clients, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a really important part. Shows that our agency isn't just working directly with clients that have social impact, but we're actually volunteering our time as well. And then for Art Center, the same thing. I've learned so much from teaching, communicating, speaking communicating your thoughts of visuals. I'm sure you know this is, it's very, very underestimated how difficult it is, right? To be mm-hmm. able to say, communicate in words what something should be visually, yeah. right? I don't think we think too much about that, but it's extremely hard and it's definitely <laughs> an art to that. I learned a lot of that through teaching and different personalities of creatives and designers and so forth that I think has also helped us the And also just teaching at Art Center as my brand, my personal brand has definitely, you know, just validates the agency, validates me and so forth. So it all kind of works together in my head for a bigger, bigger vision. Well, no, I mean, it makes sense. It all kind of feeds into each other. Like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but like the work you're doing, teaching, of course, that informs you know, how you talk to clients or how you present the the business to clients. But then you also say, you know, we're not just an agency. We also give back into the community. And so that is where like art division comes in, where you're saying I'm doing this to help out students that are interested in design or, or kids that are interested in design. So it does all feed into each other. But I think what it does overall is it shows just how passionate you are about design, you know, just outside of a client vendor relationship, like, this is your lifeblood. Like you live and breathe this stuff. Exactly. Well put. That's exactly it. Yep. What do your students teach you? Patience. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I I mean, I think number one, it absolutely keeps me on the cusp of the, I hate to say design trends, but like how culture is affecting design, right? How each generation has takes what we've done and reinvents it takes what they see in their environment and you know sort of mixes it up to to have this new sort of creative aesthetic and how Mm -hmm. that continues to evolve absolutely that's for i always want to make sure that i am not sort of blinded by my past or my history of what i always thought the design aesthetic was i always want to feel like i'm at the edge of what's happening, if not what's also how things are changing and looking even ahead of that. So the students definitely keep me on my toes when it comes to that. Second is understanding different design, creative mindsets or personalities, you know, different students take feedback completely different and how you have to be very agile and nimble on how you communicate things. It could be 
how direct you are. It could be how open you are about a direction. Some students are really great at giving, they, they need very prescriptive direction on something. Mm-hmm. And they need to develop that. They need to know like things aren't going to be so prescriptive. You need to connect the dots yourself, but you still kind of have to be somewhat prescriptive. And then other students, if you're too prescriptive, they literally will get stuck and confused because they don't really understand exactly what you're saying. So, yeah. and, and there's everything in between. So being able to read, pick up on how a student is reading you quickly, that's really important. And mm-hmm. being able to adjust your communication style. And that's the same for our design team in-house and also clients as well, right? Communicating to clients, like you mentioned, we're all creative to some point. And when we're communicating visuals, I take those those little tools that I've learned in communicating to the students and I borrow those things to communicate to clients as well when I need to. Now, you are at a at a really unique vantage point, I feel. I mean, one, you're an agency owner with Pastilla. You're also an instructor. So you're like teaching the next generation of designers. How has being a design instructor informed how you approach Pastilla? It's funny because we ended up changing the name of the, of Pastilla from Pastilla Studio and in 2012 to Pastilla Institute. It was supposed to be kind of this sort of cheeky way to kind of institutionalize something that isn't really institutional and Mm -hmm. formalize it when it really isn't formal. It was a very sort of small studio then still, but there was something that kind of made it feel like it's established. But then at the end, you're kind of like, no, you know, they're very buttoned down agency. So the one thing is that it was funny because the kind of person that I was and the designers that I would get was naturally sort of a mentor. And people would say it's kind of like a school, right? Where I saw designers really grow when they came to work at Pastilla and go and do amazing things, even after Pastilla. And so that teaching part, I think, was a part of Pastilla from the beginning. Just naturally, I guess, maybe it just came from me or or maybe just because I kind of had to, right? Because I was, you know, I needed help and I needed freelancing. I had different people from different points of view and that's just my communication style. And so that, that institute, I re- remember that now it's just Pastilla, obviously we simplified it, but that part is kind of still there. And for, I would say a good eight years, every quarter, at least we had a different intern. And I wanted to make sure that the designers that we have, like, respect the interns and part of the work is that they do have to mentor, right? Like I'm mentoring as a creative director, the student and also our design team that's also working with the mentors is also teaching. And teaching is a it's absolutely critical to any leadership. You can't have a leader not be a good teacher. You have to have somebody that can have that sort of empathy of understanding that how to communicate to do something is an important part of being a leader and that not everybody takes or understands the same words in the same or receives the same kind of communication in the same way. And I think that's an important part of being a good leader. And I felt like that's an important part of Pristia and the creative team 
the account team, the management team. And I try to continue to infuse that. And sometimes probably I would say maybe the designers are like, oh my gosh, it's too much work. I'm like teaching and designing, right? But I think in the long run, they're going to see that this is some important tools that they learn. So in short, before I was teaching at Art Center, I think we were kind of had that part of embedded into our culture. That's that teaching, you know, sort of impact or that element. Then I started Mm -hmm. teaching that just got elevated. And then I just literally created with with Pastilla, which is have internship programs. So the students would come from, from Pastilla or from Art Center. They'd intern at Pastilla for three months, continue getting taught there. Now you mentioned with the, the education work you're doing with Art Center, that part of what you're teaching is about like future strategic thinking. From your perspective, what do you think agencies can do like moving forward to ensure that like the future of creatives sort of reflect this world that we're in right now. I mean, of course we hear a lot about diversity and inclusion. There's always going to be some like new bleeding edge tech, which right now is what AI chat GPT, et cetera. Like how can agencies start to move forward, making sure that this next generation of designers, creators, et cetera, really reflect the world that we're communicating and creating for? I think one of the things along the line of teaching, I feel like at least that was a feeling when I was in school, was that if you don't come with an absolutely impeccable portfolio, you cannot work at some of these big, larger agencies. This was the case. Like, you know, thankfully, I went to Art Center. I got had that experience. I had that portfolio at that time. But not everybody gets those opportunities. Not everybody finds out those paths. Maybe they might have the opportunity, but they somehow didn't have that one person that said, hey, take a class you know, here or whatever. And there's lots of amazing schools in the world, in the country. Yeah. And But I feel that a lot of it starts in looking when you're interviewing somebody agencies and design companies need to look farther deep into who that person is that they're interviewing way past their physical their where they're at at that moment with their portfolio because for us to start developing or having the agency agencies and creative agencies digital agencies all every kind of agency reflect the real world the designers that we have the copywriters, the creative directors, the animators, the programmers reflect the world that we actually live in. We have to know that not everybody is getting the opportunities that everybody who's working currently in the agency's got, period. Right. And mm-hmm. to do that, we have to take some risks and we have to take initiative. And I think the number one thing is to open our eyes to giving opportunities to people who are not at that moment fully polished to be working at that company, right? And there's portfolio schools. There's lots of different ways that somebody can can advance themselves. But most of it is about the work. But you can get that experience sometimes working at an agency. If you have just a little bit of the excitement, the passion, the energy, and the that sort of natural creative tendency, even without having a finished portfolio, if you're given the opportunity at an agency, you can develop that portfolio quick. And Mm -hmm. 
I know it's not easy. It is not easy and it's expensive because the design teams, the, everything we do is labor. So every it will take things, things will take longer, the people, but I think in the long run, we have to give people the opportunities to especially underserved people of color when they come knocking at our doors as an agency and then you see their work, you see where they're at, not turn them down or away just because their portfolio isn't fully finished. There is space for them to grow. And those, sadly, you know, a lot of the opportunities that come are because of that network. And I understand you get portfolios come at you 24-7, but every now and then I'll get one where I'm like, huh, their portfolio is not fully fleshed out. And they don't have the art center, art school, art design, design portfolio. But there's something in their personality, something in their CV, something in their work. One project, it could be, that can show some kind of interesting perspective that you could look at. And if we're looking closer, we're able to maybe find some talent that just hasn't had the opportunity. I mean, I've seen that with Pastilla, like, you know, one of our top designers that we have, I would say one of the top designers we've ever had at Pastilla did not, didn't go to art school like that. I mean, went to like a two-year school, wasn't a really fully fleshed out program, didn't have that kind of portfolio at all. And we gave him that opportunity. He's an amazing designer. So I think agencies need to be open to giving more experiences like that. And that's, that's what I hope to do with art division is take that and with the designers that go there, find those ones that have that passion, be able to connect them. You know, Mm -hmm. if the student wants to be connected, connect them to some of these other agencies, you know, just a simple, Hey, check out this person's work. I saw this. I thought this was interesting and giving them an opportunity. You know, I, I highly agree with what you're saying. I was just talking to, uh, to a colleague of mine, Ricardo Roberts and, uh, he has an agency in New York called BN, B-I-E-N, and they do like an apprenticeship type program where they bring in, you know, designers, maybe they're junior designers, or maybe they don't have like a fully polished portfolio, but they help to give them that experience that they need in order to then like get out there and really work, you know, whether that's with agencies, whether that's directly with brands in-house, more of those types of opportunities need to be available. And I agree with you, you know, as I've Talk to folks here on the show that have worked in advertising and such like agencies can be pretty stuck in their ways about the type of people that they want and the type of experience that they have to have. Like they have to have followed almost a particular script in order to just get in the door, you know, and this is even at at like smaller boutique agencies. So it it definitely sounds like that whole world needs a bit of a paradigm shift, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. I would love to hear more about um, his program. I, I think formalizing something like that is awesome. So I will I will connect that. the two of you after this interview. I will most certainly do that. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> How do you stay creative and inspired in your work? I mean, with everything that you're doing, I feel like you have a lot of input coming at you. I've always been like pretty curious person. And I hope that, you know, I continue to be until my last days, because I feel like that is the thing that hopefully will keep me up to speed on everything that is designed at that moment. I would say design is going to be completely different in the next 30, 40 years. And I hope to know what's happening and not sort of be like 
I would always say when I was in school with some of the older, older instructors, everything that we were doing was like, oh, everything looks the same, everything, you know, and it's like, now I see some designers say the same thing to people in their early 20s. And we have, I have to understand things evolve, things change, and I want to be able to have that understanding. So staying curious and questioning and being, like I mentioned earlier, teaching and having young designers is a really important part of understanding that and how things evolve. And so that definitely always keeps me fresh. I always have that curiosity of like, what is new? What is next? Keeps Definitely keeps me fresh and excited. Right now, obviously, everything happening with AI is really, really interesting to me. And it, it, it's something that we've always kind of known is coming and we've seen it coming. And now we're tools are just more in front of us and the potential and to, to be now in design where we're going to see a total evolution of and even like fast forward of how we think and how we can be more hyper-focused in the creative and not like so much of the doing and how we create is going to change as well. And even how to take simple things like a logo, like what does that mean now in AI? Can a logo be so dynamic that it's absolutely never static can a logo can a company have a logo where every customer has their own version right because it's that dynamic like how asking these questions i think are going to be super interesting so always being on top of what's happening combining that with my experiences in the past taking that in i think that excites me what advice would you give for like aspiring creative professionals out there? They're, they've heard your story in this interview. They see everything that you're doing in the community. Well, what advice would you have for them? Or like wanting to be, let's say, own a design agency or just jumping into graphic design? We'll say wanting to own an agency because I feel like a lot of folks okay. that I that I speak with now are definitely leaning towards more entrepreneurial sorts of efforts. Even folks in-house are like, trying to okay. strike out on their own. So, so yeah, approach it that way. I would say, I mean, number one, you need to be extremely patient. I think we hear that. We know like, oh yeah, you got to be patient. Nothing comes, things come to those who wait, but it really does. And in that patience, you're going to have a lot of times where you feel like you can't continue. I, I remember the first 10 years when I started Vistia, there was about three moments that I thought, okay, I remember the first time was in the financial crisis. I thought, okay, crap, this really sucks. Like, I don't like this feeling. I don't like this uncertainty. I don't like this weight that's on me. And I thought, if I make it through this and something like this happens again, I can't continue. And then four or five years later, boom, another blip, right? And you're like, crap dang it i don't this is no i'm gonna continue but you know what this is it after this one that's it then you get one more boom oh and what's crazy is that over time you learn that those blips those bumps like you just learn how to deal with them you're smarter behind dealing with them it's not that the blips go away you just aren't scared of them at all you don't, you faced everything and you're every single time you're a better, you're a better entrepreneur, you're a better planner, you're more strategic, you know how to handle 
the downturns. And that tends to scare away people. I know because you, you, I had those thoughts and I thought like, that's it. But every single time you have to have that faith of like, you know what? I've got to believe in myself. I think I can do it. I love this. You have to love this design industry. You got to love what you do. You got to love your clients and who you work with and, and, and being creative. It definitely has to drive everything because if not, this is, you could just be a, a banker or investment banker or something, you know, because there's other ways to make money. <laughs> but uh, this definitely is a combination of a lifestyle. And, uh, and yeah, obviously there's financial reward with it as well, but you know, it definitely isn't easy. Then I would say consistency. It's not a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. And there's like, I would say in that marathon, there's a bunch of small sprints, it's one sprint. And then you go into one phase and you kind of marathon, marathon, marathon another sprint, but it's the consistency, the compounding effect of all of those moments of sprinting and marathoning and sitting and waiting and moving that all compile together for the good. And I would say in terms of, you know, I think probably the biggest thing is people always ask like, how do you get clients and things like that? You know, I think for me, one of the things that I learned early on, and I learned this as a, as a freelancer, and it might seem super simple, but to this day, it's probably the main thing that, that continues to like feed your business, which is show people the work that you do. You finish a project, show it to people, tell the story. And in the beginning, one-on-ones, I, I remember I, I was freelancing, I'd finish a project and then I'd have like seven or eight people that I wanted to share that work with. And I'd say, Hey, John, how's it going? I haven't seen you for a while. We should have lunch. Da, da, da. You know, I, are you still working at blah, blah, blah? You know, I just finished this project. You know, it's down around where you live. It's a new identity. So it was a lot of fun. But it It was like a PDF or JPEGs in the email. That was the first like five, seven years of that continued the freelance work that then got to start the company. And to this day, that's exactly what I do. Now it's more formalized. You know, and we do more of them, right? It's not just projects. It's It's articles. It's stories. It's the same thing everybody does. But I was doing it very early on where I didn't really have anything to say other than like sharing my work. And it was very intentional and very sincere as well because this business is about relationships. It's a lot about relationships. So you treat people good. You do really good work. You do everything you can to make sure the client's happy and that will pay for itself. And from there, you tell, you share the work with those people. They're going to tell other people about that, about you. And that continues to build more and more and more. Where do you see yourself like in the next five years? Like, what do you want that next chapter of your story to be? The past five years, we've we've grown exponentially. And I feel that things are a lot more, I would say, self-running, automated. The agency and the team is much more structured than it ever was. There's some positives and negatives to that. The positives part is that it's less weight on me. The positive part is that we can grow necessarily not directly with me having to be on the ground every single second. There's things that are built that can continue to feed the company on its own with even without me. So those are the good things. The downside is that there's a lot of weight or the downside I would say is that I have to do let I do less creative than I did before and I do more strategic thinking of the company. There's been 
great things and I have to continue doing that. And I know in the next five years with that growth that's happened, we have had some interest in people acquiring us, purchasing us. But I think we've contemplated a lot of those things in the past, especially last year, and we continue to. But I think uh, this kind of growth in the next, I would say, five to seven years is probably going to continue. And But what we're going to do is, it's a hard question because I think we're in the middle of pivoting a little bit, but I would say potentially doubling or tripling in size to then have a bigger creative team to serve more of the same kind of clients that we do, that we have right now. And where I feel, and that by no means we're going to be, you know, $100 million agency or anything like that. But that's going to be able to scale us to the point where I don't have to do the kind of operationalizing the strategic business work that I do on a day to day. I think that's the goal. And that where I then focus my time is, is on more of the relationship parts of the company, my relationships and how to continue to foster that and less being on the ground for the business right now. And uh, to do that, we're probably going to find maybe more partners to do that growth or, you know, maybe do some larger hires. You know, we, we have to see there's some different strategies we have and options we have to do that. But I think double, triple in size than where we are now and me being less of those, like, let's say if we had a, another talk, Maurice, like in five, six years, I'm not telling you that I'm on, on call six, seven hours a day, <laughs> maybe three. And, uh, and then the rest of the time, I'm, I'm maybe meeting people or maybe more involved in Art Division or have some other nonprofit that's maybe a part of not Art Division uh, Pastilla or, or part of Art Division that is involved in the same kind of topics that we're talking about, bringing design, art and design to youth to create more opportunities, you know, something like that. Well, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, about Pastilla, about your work? Where can they find that online? So our agency's website is pastilla.co. So pastilla.co, P-A-S-T-I-L-L-A.co. You can also find our, uh, our agency on Instagram. And our Instagram is, it's... Pastilla, P-A-S-T-I-L-L-A, agency, A-G-E-N-C-Y. That's our Instagram. And my Instagram also is Rudy, R-U-D-Y, M-V, so upside down A, V-N-N-I-N-G. So again, Rudy, R-U-D-Y, M-V-N-N-I-N-G. You can find me there as well. Yeah, those are my main channels. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can probably just search me there. And I don't know what the exact profile name is there, but uh, probably search Rudy Manning. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, we'll we'll find it. We'll link it all down in the show notes. Rudy Manning, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I, I think it's definitely evident from your story, from the work you do out in the community, your education work, Pastilla, like... Uh, you know, like I alluded to earlier in the interview, it's clear you live and breathe design, but outside of that, you have this sort of fiery passion to give back to the community 
and to also push the industry forward. And I think you're doing it at a pace and a rate and a, and a breath that is inspiring for me to see. I hope it's inspiring for our audience as well for them to see what more can they do to try to really advance and push things forward. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. That's awesome. Maurice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome podcast. So thank you so much for having me again. Big, big thanks to Rudy Manning. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Rudy and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is supported by Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They're always looking to expand their roster of freelance design consultants in the U.S., particularly brand strategists, copywriters, graphic designers, and web developers. If you know how to deliver excellent creative work reliably and enjoy the autonomy of a virtual-based freelance life with no non-competes, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, please let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify. We're on Amazon Music. You could also leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Or you can leave us a message on our hotline at 626-603-0310. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.